Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 163. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. This is going to be a triage cast in which we talk about the problems we got to solve in Soul Thief. Of which there are several. Oh, man. there's. <laughs> it's been a while since there's been fewer than 100 tickets on this project. It's a lot. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, oh, we're getting closer and closer to the launch. It feels like that list should be dwindling, <laughs> getting smaller. Yeah. But it's not. It, it stays about the same, if not uh, getting a little bit bigger. <laughs> Gets closer to like 120. <laughs> when will part, it end, Jeff? Part of it is that you and I have a tendency just to create tickets, you know, uh, just like... <laughs> I had a random idea. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, which is good, I think, you know. But it does create like a certain amount of friction when we're, you know, looking at the list of things to do. Right. I, I like to limit it sometimes and just ignore everything under the could subheading because, yeah, you could. You could do anything. Raga could have an umbrella. You know, he could be a dinosaur. Like, you could do, <laughs> <laughs> like, literally anything, right? So when a ticket is a could, I'm almost resentful of it. Like, yeah, Here, you could. <laughs> here's my, my policy is uh, I don't scroll the list at all. Oh, wow. If, if it's not above the fold, it's not happening. Oh, geez. What would that even look like? So <laughs> at the top of our list is Sprint. Courtyard, metagame, steam early access, and then at the very bottom is must, <laughs> which you'd think would be the most important. Here are the things you must do, but first there's you know a handful of subheadings that you've got to get through. Yeah, but those that, subheadings are almost always must too. The must, the, right. the actual must list is more like must later. Yeah. Right, because sprint is like must right away, and then courtyard heading is like must for the current dungeon we're working on. Yeah. And then uh, Steam Early Access is like must before Steam Early Access. <laughs> so. Way too many musts. Yes, in- indeed. We got to limit this. So uh, we haven't had a chance to triage this week. And uh, this is a pretty important part of our process, as we talked before, a uh, pretty recent podcast. And this is, uh, we-, we picked out the stuff that we thought would actually make for good conversation because some stuff uh, ranges a lot. You know, some stuff is kind of, honestly, it's pretty grunt work. You know, like I almost wish we had an intern. It'd be like, hey, we just need to, you know, massage this data, right? Like, or like convert from, you know, JSON to something other than JSON <laughs> or <laughs> something along those lines, right? Uh, and a lot of it's also like double dragon stuff, uh, as we call it, which um, my wife gets annoyed by. Yeah, pair programming is what. Wait, who gets annoyed by it? <laughs> Andrea, why? she's like, she's like, why do you invent your own term for something that already has a term? Because our term is way more fun. Well, it's it, it's our invented here mentality, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we have our own game engine, even though others exist. We have, uh, we'd probably make our own computers if we could. We just build them out of wood. We should have our own name for Sprint. <laughs> call it like Fun Run or something. Fun Run. Ooh, I like that. Three legged race. <laughs> ship it <laughs> yeah so the the triage tickets are um kind of a beast honestly there's all kinds of different things you have to tackle but these are going to be the uh the ones that'll make for good conversation so let's jump into it let's do it this is a pretty important one uh so as we talked recently we've been working on the courtyard dungeon which i'm really excited about because once we finish the courtyard dungeon the game will almost be on par with a wizard lizard one which That's had true. the three primary dungeons had the cemetery the sewer and the crypt and I, think, I know it had the bonus dungeons, but come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> no one counts those. That's right. Yeah. People don't even know they exist most of the time. It's only the completionists and the, uh, the our hardcore players who uh, know about them. I think that the biggest, at that point, the biggest discrepancy will be like just the secrets and the flavor, you know? Yeah. There were a lot of, you know, all the dungeons in AWL1 had like specific rooms uh, they were interesting, and there was, like, these multi-step quests, and there were, like, you know, you alluded to before, like, the secret entrances you could find to other dungeons and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's something that's kind of lacking right now, but that's the fun part, man. I yeah, that that's the really good stuff, and that will come, but it's almost like um, it has to have content to latch onto first, you know? You're not going to have a multi-step quest when you only have one dungeon. How do you know? <laughs> first that's you have to go to this room then you go to that room that sounds like a loser attitude <laughs> jeez <laughs> apparently i'm a loser uh so i had a concept for the courtyard boss but it's um it's one of these things i really wanted to bounce off of you before i did too much work on it i kind of did like the um i guess we call it placeholder where you know it exists like the code yes. is there but it's not like it hasn't had a lot of love just yet so this is the first time i'm hearing about it i haven't even pulled the code and played it Oh wow! Or anything. You're behind, sir. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, in the dark. 
there's not a whole lot to see there, but this is basically the concept. So the, the courtyard is all about kind of uh, exterior, outdoors. There's rain. There's some plants. There's There might be like crows at some point, like animals. And what I really love is uh, plant monsters, right? I think about Little Shop of Horrors. Loved that when I was growing up. I think about, you know, plants with giant mouths. You know, you think about these, um, the plant, the carnivorous plants, you know. There's all kinds of different ones. Some of them have mouths. Some of them look like buckets and insects crawl into the bucket and then it, like the top closes and it's all creepy. I've always loved them. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They spooked me out. And, uh, you know, I think it was Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors was uh, really cool looking. It was like um, uh, this actual physical head, you know. And it had uh, these great looking teeth and just this fantastic mouth. And like, I, I just wanted to make something like that. We always really wanted to for the first game in the, um, the forest. forest. Yeah, yeah, forest, the hidden dungeon. And we never really got around to it for, you know, millions of reasons. <laughs> because and so, reasons. Yeah, and this is the concept basically is uh, there's a big plant monster hiding out in the center of the room. And uh, the plant monster will be in a big pot, as I call it. Because we already have like pots that have like house plants in them, and then there's also pots that you can just destroy that sometimes have loot. So this would be a big pot, and it's meant to look like a, one of those big, hefty, like heavy ceramic type um, things that would just sit outside in a courtyard, right? right? And so there's one in the center, and the big plant monster is there, and the plant monster shoots projectiles at you, maybe like you know pew pew pew, like three at a, at a time or something. What a jerk! Yeah, and then it will kind of teleport. He will retreat into the pot, and then he will pick another pot and come up out of it. This sounds very familiar. Does it sound like the Super Hag? It does. <laughs> yeah. It might It might be a lot like the Super Hag. Uh, That's okay. I thought that was a fun boss. So that was one of our go. favorite bosses from the first game. So this one will be a bit different in that um, the kind of concept for it is basically that you can choose to just focus on the boss and just deal damage to the boss, or you can choose to destroy some of the pots to limit where the boss can teleport. To uh -oh. limit how the boss gets away from you. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Kind of a new element because the sewer hag didn't have that. The sewer hag would appear in these pools of sewage and you couldn't really get to her. You know, right. you had to just get near and then just throw swords at her or whatever. And uh, this one would have more like, uh, you know, you're more involved, right? Like you can choose to... I, I like that one. You can kind of choose how you want to take on a boss. So how's it going to work when the boss is on a big pot... We'll have to figure out how to make it so that uh, you're damaging the boss and not the pot. Yeah, kind of what I was picturing the way it might work is that um, the boss would actually remove the pot. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then appear there. And then when the boss teleports away, it would be like, okay, find me another big pot. And I'll pick one at random or maybe I'll go around Robin or something like that. But basically, I'll find one and then I will remove it and then teleport to it so that you can't really see <laughs> the difference, right? Right, yeah. And then when I leave to go to another one, I will restore uh, the pot, like a pot that used to be there. And it might be interesting, too, because with that scenario, what the boss monster would probably do is place like a healthy pot. Because what I was picturing was the pots would be a little bit health sponges. They'd have maybe like, they'd take like five, maybe as many as like eight hits, right? Yeah. And then, right. yeah, I could see the boss restoring them. Or, I don't know, they could also preserve the health. We'll have to see. I think if they were going to completely negate the boss's ability to teleport to that location, we'd want them to be pretty healthy. Yeah, exactly. We'd want it to be like a pretty, um, oh, not difficult choice, but, you know, something where you're like, should I spend the time? And I think that would also really work well with a um, some kind of similar mechanic that the sewer had hag. Sewer hag <laughs> had. That, that, that. That's hard where, to say. Uh, it is. <laughs> um, where she starts filling up the room with mushrooms. Right. You know, where if you spend too much time limiting where the plant can go you've also got this kind of uh you know time-based mechanic that's filling up the room or making your life more difficult it's kind of like uh, the stove monster uh stove boss in the kitchen has that yeah. right now where the longer you take the more pig heads or knives that fill up the room or whatever and uh that that's hard man i mean if you, it is if you go back and watch i think alpha 11 where i was playing <laughs> the stove monster or stove boss <laughs> that gets crazy yeah I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you can definitely see. You can see us play that boss multiple times. That boss hasn't changed too much since we started making those alpha videos. And uh, sometimes, man, that room just gets stuffed with ads. It's really hard. He's uh, he's fun, though. I mean, I think yeah. it's, it's good because that like encounter him. is... Uh, I won't go to say it's like, you know, 
Best amazing. boss ever? It's not the best boss ever, but um, <laughs> it's certainly challenging every time we play it, yeah. which actually might be a bad sign, you know, um, because on a previous podcast, I know that we had talked about the idea that uh, the developer of a boss should be able to beat it without taking any damage. Yes, that came from a name I can't remember. I'll put a link, though, in the show notes. This was the director of Symphony of the Night. Yes. Um, had a talk where that was one of the points. And boy, did that really um, strike a chord with me because, you know, the first game, we listed this, and uh, I'll put a link to this in the show notes too, the postmortem for AWL1 on uh, Gama Sutra. Um, one of the biggest problems with that game was that it was just too hard period you know like you and i have intimate knowledge of the game systems and content and everything and we still play that game and we die a lot and that's that's just not how it should be you know it just feels unfair yeah and so like the stove boss feels if you're you're using that metric stove boss is probably too hard yeah and the portrait boss is too easy yeah because uh i can beat him without getting hit without hardly even trying yeah and you also do this thing where you kind of just like your little tornado you just like twist around him and then he's just dead um but it's hard too because the library is before the kitchen right now so we do kind of want the portrait boss to be a little easier than the stove boss but not like it feels like there's a chasm of difference right now and that's kind of a problem so basically what we're probably going to do is um actually i think we had this in the triage too as well Nerf, yeah. Well, we were talking about making the portrait boss teleport away from you, and then we were also talking about um, nerfing the stove boss because he's probably a bit too intense. Maybe um, he's to spawn fewer ads or just... Just give you more time, maybe. I think that his... Um, his The duration of... I forget what you call that phase, but where he sits there and he's just like, um, don't mind me, I'm just a little stove. It's a little bit too long, right? Yeah, he closes his door... Uh, and he, you can't hit him, and he's immune to everything, and like his lights go off, and he, he's like in a dead phase, right? Right. Before he comes back to life, which is cool from a mechanical perspective, but it does feel like it makes the fight drag on a little too long. Yeah, but I don't know. It also gives you an opportunity to catch up with those ads. It's true, although it's hard because when you get to a certain point, there's so many that you're just kind of dodging them. Like you can't even spend any time cleaning up hardly because you're just. At least, like, when you watched me play, I was, like, hopping from <laughs> body to body just to survive and then yeah. hoping that once the boss came back, I could do, you know, two more hits or whatever he needed to, to take him out. Right. Do you remember how that code works? Is it... So there's there's four spawn points in the kitchen boss, right? And does it just go, like, I'm going to spawn one, then two, then three, then four? What do you mean? Or is it based on health? Uh, he's, I think it's based on health. He spawns okay. one until he's below 50% and then he'll spawn two. And the way that it works is that he'll spawn the first one as far away from the player as possible. Right. And then he'll spawn the second one as close to the player as possible. Wow. Interesting. That's, it's really complicated. It is. It's, it's a more complicated boss than I think that we want, but yeah, it, you know, I think it's, it's a successful boss because it's fun it's challenging for us to play. Maybe it's still a little too hard, so it, it could do with some nerfs. But yeah, it's interesting, you know, trying to find the balance between, like the portrait boss. I like a lot in a lot of ways, but I definitely think it needs more. Right. Uh, it needs a little bit more challenge because just the basic behavior isn't interesting enough. You know, it's not. You don't go into the portrait spot, the portrait boss, thinking like, "Oh man, all right, here we go." You know, like yeah. when I when I ru- enter the stove boss room, I'm like, all right, you know, time to put my game face on. Let's do this. That's true. And if you're low health or you don't have a good item or something, you, you feel like you have to prepare for the kitchen boss. But the portrait boss, you, you might see the door and be like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, doesn't matter. I got more to explore, but I'll uh, I'll take care of that after I kick this guy's ass. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much what it is. So, yeah, we need a nerf and we need a buff. Bosses are hard, man. Boss design is so difficult. Yeah, we were talking about this on the forum. Like, we're trying to design more simpler bosses, right? And what I mean is, you know, increase the quantity of bosses. So, like, it'd be great if each dungeon had two, maybe even three different bosses. That way, because, you know, it's a procedurally generated game. We want to emphasize repeated playthroughs. And when you see the same boss every single time, that can get a little tiring, right? And, like, in the first game, we had different phases. um, Or, like, the, the zombie warlord would pick, you know, like, I'm the kind of zombie warlord who spins my... Uh, ball and chain around or another one who's like i just throw my ball and chain at you right 
<clears throat> but it's still a little tiring because you're like it's still the same old zombie warlord. So we've been trying to err on the side of like, you know, the boss is very simple, but it's very big and beefy, and like the behavior is very basic. But there's like three of them, <laughs> so that's more fun. Yeah, but, I think that the zombie warlord. The reason it was successful is because, or not successful, but you know, the, the reason we did it that way is because, you know, it's much simpler to just vary the behavior of a thing than it is to art and polish a whole separate boss. Yeah. But the zombie warlord, he kind of started out way too complicated. I mean, that's actually another reason that we split him into three different versions is because right. when we, uh, I don't know if when we first designed it, but at some point in his development, he got to the point where he was doing all three of those things yeah. in every encounter, right? He would start, <laughs> he would chase you and, and throw the ball at you, and then he would swing it around slowly, and it would get like this bigger arc uh, as time went on, and then he had another one where he moved around and, and swung it at a constant circle. <laughs> and so he would do all three of those things in one encounter, plus raise zombies all the time. Imagine us building something too complicated. That never happens. What is up with that? Yeah, I know. So, so what do you think of the, the giant plant, I'm calling it, encounter so far? Uh, I like it a lot. Um, cool. I think that it does take some cues from the sewer hag, which I think is only a good thing because that boss, I think, had a lot of good stuff going for it. Right. And uh, I really like the idea. I, I love giving the players some choice when it comes to how to attack uh, a certain boss. And like, yeah. You know, one thing that I thought was particularly hard about the sewer hag is you didn't... Uh, she did have a pattern about where she would come up. Um, it wasn't easily knowable <laughs> because the way it worked would be that uh, every time that she would go into that phase she would pick an order i think or she would you know she wouldn't visit the same pool twice until she visited all five okay so if she had popped up four times you could know where she was going to pop up on the fifth time right but if she hadn't popped up once yet in that particular iteration it could be any of the five i didn't know that yeah and I've looked at the code, and I've played the game a whole lot. <laughs> so I think that's pretty revealing, you know? <laughs> it is. But uh, part of the, the hard part about that encounter is, like, you know, being in the right spot, right? Like, if you don't know where she's going to come up, and then you have to react. And once she comes up, she's not up for all that long, you know? And, uh, and while she's up, she's shooting projectiles at you. And so it makes it difficult to get in range of her and also do enough damage to her during one of her up phases uh, you know, to really maximize on that particular phase. Right. And so I can see how limiting the spots that the boss can spawn in sounds like a really attractive option to the player. Cool. So that sounds cool. Excellent. Yeah, so we'll have to uh, double dragon that later. All right. And uh, that should be cool. I'm really looking forward to drawing a giant plant head. That sounds like a good time to me. That does sound fun. So uh, continuing down, uh, we need to kind of give the courtyard its own feel so far a lot of the stuff is very placeholder-ish uh, like you know we've got new environment graphics and we actually do have a healthy amount of traps and we're starting to have a couple of monsters even but i'm talking about like the dungeon layout right like how you get from a to b to maybe even c in the dungeon right like what what the dungeon looks out uh, looks like as far as you going room to room and yep. then also uh the rooms themselves they need to feel a little more unique right so I feel like there's some knobs we can turn. I've been thinking about this a little bit since I saw that ticket. Um, and I've kind of been like mulling over just dungeon layout stuff in general uh, for the past several weeks. Nice. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into this, right? Um, there's one axis where it's like, how are the rooms connected to each other? Which could feel very different, right? If you remember in A Wizard's Lizard 1, we actually had a much different algorithm um, which you weren't a fan of to begin with. Uh, the for, the like, one with the branches? Yeah, the one with the branches. Yeah, it just felt... It didn't have good harmony, you know? It, it felt so disconnected. You would be going down a branch, and it would be, you know, three or four rooms long, and you get to the end, and maybe there's a chest, maybe there's nothing, and you just kind of go back. You yeah. know, it wasn't like, oh, that's okay. I, I'm right over here in this new area I wanted to explore. You know, there wasn't much overlap between rooms. So there's that level of difference, right? Like, we could have a different layout algorithm for each or not each but you know have a, a couple different layout algorithms and and use them for different dungeons right and some of them can be more connected and some of them can be less connected i don't know do you think it would feel 
as bad to you if there were just one specific dungeon that was kind of like, well, this is like the branchy dungeon. I see. Um, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I never really liked that feeling. You know, what if there was always something good at the end of a branch? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that would solve part of the problem. That you know, we talk about band aids. Yeah, that might feel like part of it because it still doesn't solve the problem of you know you have to just kind of walk back. And this is not a game necessarily where walking back is really that exciting. You know, like um, here we go mentioning Spelunky. Just going from here to there, like from A to B, and Splunky can be a lot of fun because you can run, you can jump, you can use your jetpack if you got it, you can choose to blow a hole in the ground and take a different path if you want, you know. But with like an AWL1, when you get to the end of one of these branches, like your only real option is to kind of slowly walk your way back in rooms you've already seen to get to a place you've already been. You know, it's just, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. Um, although I also wonder how much of that is exacerbated by the fact that you have to clear out each room so you mm. get into a scenario where like if you're going to go down a branch you have to clear out every single room along the way right and then on the way back they're all completely empty because you had to clear them all that's Whereas true with our new design you might be able to just kind of like rush down a branch you know and maybe you'll kill a few things along the way maybe you yeah. won't and then when you get to the end there's a treasure chest or whatever and then you come back out and like at the very least you'll have to traverse through some hazards that you didn't kill the first time through, probably. That's interesting. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say with definitive (laughs) miss. Yeah, because like in the first game, you're guaranteed to be walking back through dead rooms. Yeah, you've already killed everything in there because you had to to open the doors. But in this game, you know, you might have ran through these rooms pretty quickly to get to where you wanted to be. And then you're skipping all the monsters, right? And then you get to the end and you realize this isn't, the end of the dungeon maybe you just get a chest or something so you need to backtrack but as you do you're backtracking through living breathing content instead of like here's an empty room and the first game had like no corpses yeah. you know no proof that you'd been there there's no damage no destruction it was just like here's the most boring room we can design here's four of them put together just for you <laughs> like that that didn't feel good but i mean you know it's i think it's a good sign that this game is different enough to where that old paradigm doesn't even necessarily fit I think it just really speaks to how complicated some of this stuff is. You know, it's not all this stuff kind of lives in harmony or disharmony with each other. <laughs> yeah. Like the branchy dungeon design, you know, absent some of the other design decisions might feel great. Yeah. Or not, you know, who knows? It, it, but it's hard to say, you know. I think it's worth a shot then in that case because um, context is hard, you know, and this game is pretty drastically different from the first game. So it might be okay. Um, also, just along the brainstorming line, I was thinking, you know, what if you got to the end of a branch and there was a teleporter that... Ooh, went back to the beginning of yeah, that. Yeah, because that would solve the, you know, oh, I don't want to backtrack, right? So but if there's a teleporter there, you could, you know, touch it and it teleports you to, like, you know, somewhere else or maybe it's the end of a different branch. I don't that know what that has cool. to do with a courtyard. Uh, Nothing. It could be like a, a fountain, like a whirlpool. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, that, you know, the other thing about that is that that particular, whatever new design we do doesn't have to be the courtyard design. You know, what we can do is we can, like, you know, that could be the kitchen instead, or that could be the library. Like, the library could have little warp portals. Right. And uh, and that's how the library feels. But by making the library different, the courtyard and the kitchen will feel different as yes. well, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it's interesting. I like to um, we want we want to get to this point eventually where each dungeon kind of has its own feel to it. You know, this is a really hard thing to do, but like, let's say for example, the courtyard had this general feeling of um, like since it's nature and plants, it was growth, right? And so what that would mean is like it feels like the dungeon kind of expands. Um, a lot of the monsters are built around you know, oh, I split into two, or like you know, every. Uh, turn every cycle of my behavior I I duplicate or like I, I branch out like just growth you know and then something like the library uh, you know it being a place that houses books it would be about knowledge right and it would be you know you don't necessarily know how to fight this monster until you learn something about it or right. like you know a book can transport you to a new place you know you can be like when I'm reading this book I feel like I'm in the 18, uh, 1800s and it feels wonderful right and that might be a good like reason to use teleporters in that dungeon right because books can teleport you somewhere else just little abstract connections like that something 
to help you build out the content, you know, some theme, some guiding light to help like direct all this various, you know, creative things you're trying to make, like, you know, give them focus, right? Yeah, focus, I think is really important. And uh, along those lines, something else I was thinking of was basically limiting the kind of room layouts that we have. So we talked about the overall dungeon layout and how we could, you know, tweak that on a per dungeon basis to make them feel a little bit different. Right. But there's also the individual rooms, right? And so one thing we have going on right now is that a lot of the dungeons have very similar room layouts. Like there's just a big pool of them and, and they can all pick from any of those things. Yeah. So you get like big rooms, you get small rooms, you get hallways, you get what I call walkways, which are like sort of like hallways, but they have pits instead of walls. I like those. Yeah, those are pretty cool rooms. I like those a lot. But um, it gives, you know, it, there's not a lot of focus there, you know. So I was thinking that maybe, you know, for example, the library would have no pits, right? Hmm. And maybe just mostly hallways. You know, it's like very tight corridors, very hallway-ish, a lot of like L-shaped rooms, a lot of like plus-shaped four-way stops um, and no pits. And then, you know, Maybe the kitchen would have a few pits, but maybe it'd be more about blocks, right? The rooms have like the corner blocks or the blocks in the middle uh, of the room and stuff like that. And then, you know, maybe the courtyard is more about pits where you see like the water all over the place. I like that. I mean, just, you know, that's kind of a for instance of how we might also give the dungeons a different feel by, you know, limiting the kind of room templates that a dungeon can have in it to kind of make it feel more cohesive, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's the other tricky part is not just the layout of the dungeon itself, you know, like what the Zelda map would look like, uh, but also the individual rooms, right? So like this room here, um, we basically want each dungeon to have a bunch of unique feeling rooms. Like there's nothing else in the whole game that feels quite like the kitchen banquet in the right. kitchen dungeon, right? It's it's big. It's got this cauldron in the center. The only place the cauldron appears in the whole game, it's got all these uh pig tables and turkey tables all these tables everywhere uh it's it's like it's relatively dense even though it's very big and it feels like a banquet you know it feels like a feast a buffet of monsters <laughs> buffet of monsters I like you know that. Yeah. <laughs> you come in there and uh you know if you're properly equipped you might be like sweet you get to kill everything you just like you unleash hell upon them you know you've got rupture or fire fingers or something along those lines ice axes are really fun in that room oh yeah and you just uh, you mess them up, you know. And we need more of that because, like, um, the library doesn't have as many rooms like that where you're like, oh yeah, this room only appears in the library, you know. Yeah. Well, you have the globe fun room, which is kind of like a, you know, the globe traps are like these globes on stands, and if you hit them or something hits them, they go careening around the room, like bowling balls bouncing around. And there's a room full of bookshelves where, um, that feels really different, right? It definitely needs more, I agree. But there are a couple iconic rooms in the library so far. But I don't feel like we have any of that for the courtyard yet. Although, yeah. I can see the path, right? Like, we've got those thorns that when you attack them, they just kind of retreat. Right. And then they come back. You could fill up a room with that and have it be like this little maze, you know, where you have to kind of cut your way through the thorns and they keep going back behind oh, yeah. you. And so you have to kind of make it fast. And that's, that's also a really good room for you know, like a back, like if, if the player had to backtrack through it, mm. it would be just as interesting the second time through, hopefully. That's true. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> that's the hope. Right, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. I like the regenerating thorns. Uh, they feel very different and they do kind of have that growth theme, you know, cause you think outside, you think nature, it's, it's very much about like green and growing Yeah. and that kind of thing. I like that. That should be good. So, I mean, there's like, that's why it's so hard to, to work on this kind of stuff because there's so many axes to work on and um although i think that we should hit all of them right i think in order to get a truly unique feeling dungeon it would have a fairly distinct layout it would have a fairly focused set of room templates um right like it's mostly hallways or it's mostly pits or it's mostly blocks like things like that yeah um and then it would also have like a smattering of these really iconic rooms like the banquet or globe fun or the regenerating thorns or whatever yeah to kind of make it feel pretty fun uh one thing that i did with the kitchen banquet is i made it so that the doors are always closed in that room nice so when you come to that room you always have to fight it which i think is kind of cool yeah that's appropriate because otherwise you might stumble into that room and you're like oh man i'm not ready yet you're like nope but we kind of want 
you know, because that's a sec. Uh, it's gonna be the second or third dungeon in the game, and by that point, we really want to kind of throw the player a curveball, you know, once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I think that our current thinking is that it'll be the third dungeon. Yeah, I think so too. Because what we've been trying to do is hold off. We don't want to make the first dungeon right away. We're trying to make the middle of the game first. We are taking advice from Miyamoto. We are making the first dungeon in the game last. It will be the very last content we build out. After the last guy. Yeah. That's After true. everything. The last thing that we'll do in the game. Um, I mean, you know, it might be DLC or, you know, we'll, we'll continue to build out content and everything. But I'm talking about, like, when tackling a brand new dungeon, we're going to make the first dungeon last. Because that way we know everything about the game. You know, we know where the player is going to go. We know what challenges they're going to have. We know what the mechanics are. We've got full knowledge of everything the game is going to throw at the player. And so we have an opportunity there to make the first dungeon this place to kind of educate the player, allow the player these safe places to learn the mechanics without getting frustrated. And uh, we have an opportunity to just make it really fun right out of the gate without being too hard. Uh, there's a lot going on there, and uh, it, it's basically a great opportunity for us to kind of put um, a really strong foot forward. Yeah, and also like get the player kind of hooked, right? Yeah. I think that the cemetery was a little too difficult yeah, in it was. AWO1. Like the, the monsters, yeah, the owls are really difficult. <laughs> Even the goblins, you know, like they're... Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that chase you, and then they shoot projectiles at you, and then the owls like bounce all over the place. And the zombie warlord was not it was a not super easy. easy first no. boss either. You and I had a hard time uh, playing him without getting hit. You know, yeah. like we could beat him without dying, but that's a very different thing than beating him without getting hit. And if we can't beat him without getting hit as expert expert players, yeah. then, you know, new players have almost no chance. There's no hope, yeah. So this is, <laughs> no uh, this is a good strategy we have. Let's see how it plays out. Um, hopefully, great. Hopefully, well. Yes. <laughs> we'll report back. Uh, so here's a pretty important one. Um, this ticket is called Discuss Soul Shot on Entities It Can't Possess. Yeah. And so we've got kind of, uh, I mean, there's going to be some cruft. And uh, because like, you know, as, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, we've gone through a lot of iterations with what the core mechanics are in this game. It used to be projectile based. It used to be uh, mana based, three different types of mana inspired by Magic the Gathering. And now it's more melee focused and it has this possession hook, which is really important. And we have some content in the game that you you can't possess right like that's going to be the primary hook is when we're talking to people about it you know like the elevator pitch will be something along the lines of like you know you can possess monsters right right and so the way that works is you basically shoot a projectile out and it's this little raga head you know and it'll hit something and like let's say you shoot it at like an inkwell or a pig head you possess that monster right but some stuff and honestly pretty arbitrarily you can't possess it like, some things it seems like you should be able to possess and you can't, and we have reasons for that. <laughs> it's just a reasons. thing that exists in the game and we probably want to continue with. Um, but right now, when let's say there's a, like an ice box. You can't possess the ice box, although you can possess other inanimate objects like the armor, right? The suit of armor. So you shoot your soul possession thingy. We call it the player soul. You shoot that at the ice box, and the way it works right now is it goes right through it. And uh, I was doing a play test recently with a buddy of mine, and it like uh, it kind of frustrated him because it led to a death. Because um, it wasn't... J- oh, here's what it was. He shot his player's soul at an oven turret, thinking, like, before I die, I can possess that, right? Huh. And it passed through the oven turret, and it hit a chicken behind it. Oh, no. And then the chicken immediately got hit and died. <laughs> and I, it seems like we need to solve that problem. And, like, one way I think is that, like, let's say the player's soul hits something it can't possess. It could treat it like a solid wall, right? And it could, like, disappear. Like, psh, you know, mm-hmm. dissipate. And it could even be the message maybe, like, can't possess or, you know, eat me. <laughs> Get bent. <laughs> Get bent. <laughs> But basically, you know, it's all about messaging and feedback, right? Because what we don't want is someone shoots something and they're confused. Like, what happened? Like, is the collision broken? Is that supposed to be? Instead, we want something to happen instead of just a passing through it like a ghost. You know, we want it to hit it. And that way the player will be like, okay, I see. Uh, it was ineffective. You know, like, we have that in other parts of the game. It'll be like immune. You know, something along the lines of I'm immune to possession or you just you can't possess this thing. Something to help the player understand what's happening. Here's another idea. Uh-oh. I'm scared. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Let's hear it. What if you could just possess everything? Yeah. I mean, we could go through and like we could enumerate. There's a very small handful of things you can't possess right now. And I mean, 
the fact that you can possess a chicken and it's okay means that basically anything can be possessed and have it be okay. Yeah. Because the chicken doesn't do anything, right? It's a completely useless entity uh, in terms of possession. Yes. It's got no hit points. It doesn't have <laughs> any like attack. Its ability is you hit the button and it goes and it shoots some feathers out, which does nothing. It clucks. It clucks. Yeah, yes. that's that's all that it does. It's just for fluff. But we do have know, plans for the chicken. Yes, but I see true. what you're saying. Is like if you can <laughs> if you can possess something so worthless, <laughs> why can't you possess something that would obviously not be as worthless, right? Right. And so like you know the ice box as is, you know if you possess the ice box and you can then run around freezing stuff. You can't kill it with your freeze attack, but like whatever, you know, like you can hot bodies or you can just not kill things if you don't have to. Um, but as long as I, I think the core thing is as long as you can move around in a body, it, it's viable. Yeah, I think so, too. So I've kind of been thinking about that more and more because I, I'm in complete agreement with you that that feels janky. And I think the feedback is, is a good is a good step um just in general but i still feel like it kind of like you have to learn it right yeah you have to learn that like oh i can't possess this oven turret and i can't possess this ice box and i can't possess this you know whatever it happens to be yeah the angel statue right now right is, is a trap in the courtyard that you can't possess right now so you know because of that i still feel like maybe it's better just to like you know when a player says why can't i possess that and the answer is reasons. <laughs> we shrug. <laughs> well, well, you know. Maybe that's a sign that you know we're not, you know, we're not really harmonizing with that core mechanic. The oven turret and the ice box were both made before the possession mechanic, so it, it does seem like the kind of thing we never went back and kind of you know <laughs> brought Fixed. them back up to speed. Yes. Yeah, that could be. Uh, it might be worthwhile to go through and see which things you can't possess right now. I, there might just be those three primarily. Like there are some things like the globe, which, you know, it's, it doesn't have any, um, it doesn't have any AI. I think that would yeah. kind of be like the cutoff. I mean, cause yeah. we still need the feedback, right? Because there are going to be entities like bosses. Right. That we're like, we're not going to let you possess the boss. Like, come on, <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> and really like the only reason for that is that like, you know, we just don't, as designers, we don't understand how that would work. It's well, like, uh, yeah, we, you, we talked about it briefly, but it, the first and foremost thing was like, for example, the stove boss is just too big to fit through doors. <laughs> right. And how do you solve this problem? You walk into a room and, oh, there's a boss. Well, I possessed you and I beat the boss, basically. Right. Yeah. That's kind of where that? I was coming from design yeah. wise. Like is the bosses are meant to be like, here's a test of your skills. Right. I think that some of the bosses should include more focus on the possession mechanic. Like we yeah, talked about, like for sure. you know, maybe there's a boss and he spawns an an enemy, and the enemy's projectile is the only thing that can hurt the boss. Yeah, and so you can possess the enemy and then use it to shoot the boss, or you know, you could also just kite the enemy around and get it to shoot the boss, maybe. Yes. So both of those sound pretty pretty cool, but um, I think actually possessing the boss itself um is difficult. The other yeah. thing we could do is that like maybe there's a boss that you can possess, but the whole idea is that you have to like run him into things that damage him. Oh, interesting. You know, it could be kind of like the opposite. Instead of he spawns things that then will do damage to him, there are like static things around the room that will do damage to him. And so like mm. you'll have to possess him and take him over there and get him hit by it. And then, you know, maybe whenever he gets hit, you pop out or something. I don't know. That sounds a little janky because it um it's kind of an edge case with our possession mechanics. Yeah. So it's That'd probably be better. I always think about how to educate the player too. Like how do you message that to the player, right? Not just that you have to possess this thing. Cause that's something we've seen from playtesting in our own experiences. You just forget that sometimes, you know, yeah. you forget that you can't possess at all. So there could be some people playing this monster and they just keep dying. And they're like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, why can't they beat this boss? And we're like, Oh, well, you should be using the possession mechanic. And, you know, if we're not clever enough as designers to make that an obvious thing within the confines of the game, then we start to have to band-aid it with, like, here's a big message box. Possess <laughs> this monster. Which, um, as we saw, like, like Greg, uh, our marketing guy, he did a demo recently in San Francisco. And uh, even in the tutorial, some people were not getting it. Even though, like, above this monster they're trying to deal with is a text box that says, you know, like, you know, press Shoot B. Me. Yeah, press <laughs> B to attack me or something. And they're just like... 
What? Because they're not in read mode, right? It's not right. a book. It's a game. They're trying to play it, and they're like, you want me to read? Okay. Like, I hate reading. Press B to attack. Let me look at my game pad. Here's the B button. Great. That was a nice little book I had to read there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, that's not what they want to be doing. They just want to run in and, and have a good time pressing buttons and running around and looking at sprites, not words. Yeah, it actually might be better in the tutorial. Instead of forcing them to do that, it might be better to kind of give them a an, ent- an enemy with a ranged attack. Because it sounds like what was happening, you know, just to give people some context here, is that uh, the tutorial has you possess a suit of armor, and the suit of armor only has a melee attack. Yes, yeah, and then attack. It, it gives you a projectile item to teach you how items work, and then you go into a different room, and there are slimes across pits that you can only attack with projectiles, not with melee. Which I think yeah. is a good lesson to learn, but at that point, you haven't ever attacked any enemies ever. With the with, tail whip, well, the tail whip you destroy some barrels it makes you right. do that. But you're saying with the stomp, with the stomp, right? And so, like, yeah, you don't even get to use the armor as the armor, right? The very oh. first time you have to attack anything, it's with the new item. And so maybe it's just that there's too much going on there, and and we should give the player like an inkwell first or something and then have them destroy stuff with the range attack and then, you know, move on to the item. Yeah, maybe. I uh, I just thought of a solution for that. We could just have the player have to destroy some more barrels with the armor. Uh, that could work too. As they did before with the, uh, the tail whip with Raga. Yeah. So this ticket is interesting because uh, this is, again, discuss soul shot entities if can't possess, right? And it... Um, Seems on the surface like, okay, this is just one ticket. We will just solve this problem. We'll close this ticket and <laughs> no. we will have one fewer. No, no. <laughs> this one, it's like, okay, first of all, yes, it does seem like we should have it actually collide with things it can't affect and then maybe play a sound effect or maybe even show a message. But we just want to message clearly what's happening, right, with good feedback. Uh, and then also it creates like at least two, maybe three additional tickets of like make icebox possessable which that's non-trivial, make oven turret possessable. That's kind of a hard thing because the oven turret, uh, as we've talked about before, is kind of rooted into the ground. So like we could have the player mobile, and in fact, it might be necessary to make the player mobile. I think we would have to, yeah, because think about this scenario, right? Like uh, you're in a room with just the oven turret and your Raga body. Yeah. And you possess the oven turret and you press the attack button and it you shoots a fireball body. and it kills your raga body. And you're in a broken state. Yeah, no, you're in a broken state. Yeah. So that's a hard problem. Is it's it's not very clear. Like, is it A, it's possessable and you can move around, or is it B just continue to not be possessable? Like that's a hard design problem to solve, right? It is. And I then think we gotta go to the courtyard and solve the angel statue problem as well. I think that everything the player can possess has to be mobile. mobile. Yeah, I think so like, too. I used to think that everything the player possessed would have to have a way of killing stuff, but uh, I don't eh. think that's necessarily true. Yeah, because we've got, for one, you can always jump bodies. Right. You could pick something that can attack on its own. For two, you can have weapons, and some of these weapons, like Pump Kill, comes with 50 charges. You know, yeah. like you get to attack 50 times, and that could be in addition to Icebox's uh, freeze projectile. Which it is actually powerful. Could make the, uh, it could make the icebox pretty interesting, right? If you have a yeah. nice wand and you have the icebox and you can freeze and kill stuff like that, sounds kind of oh, fun. Actually. And if we did that thing where we make stuff that's frozen weak against fire, yeah. <laughs> we both love that. The elemental damage, you know? Yes. And, the, and combos, item combos, so good. So good. So yeah. good. Well, so the way that we've been trying to think about item combos actually is like we're trying to think that's one of the reasons we took away the dual wand setup is that we want the item combos to actually be monster ability plus item wand yeah it kind of has to be since we uh we waffled on you know you used to be able to have two different wands at once and that was like you know a b right like you have your freeze wand and then you switch to your fire wand but uh you know we took that feature out so now it is more like dependent on the monster you're possessing plus the item that you have right yeah Games are hard, man. <laughs> that That is true. Man, this is always so funny. Like, it seemed like we didn't really have enough content to talk about in a full podcast, but, like, we're already well into it, and we still have more to talk about. Ah, it's just it's... crazy how much conversation needs to happen just to solve these hard design problems, isn't it? It is. Well, I mean, we spend probably double podcast time every 
Monday triaging tickets almost. Like I think we usually talk for at least an hour, probably two. It's more like three or four. Is it? Wow, because yeah. our Skype sessions are usually, uh, like we usually take a break in the middle, you know, like nature calls and that kind of stuff. And each individual Skype cast is usually about two hours. Yeah. We work a <laughs> lot. <laughs> uh, okay, here's one. Uh, revisit corpse, corpse usage. And like I want to smack past Matt just for bringing this back up or uh, reviving this corpse. <laughs> but it's like, so, okay, to back up a little bit, we used to have this item. What was it called? The wand? Or was it a book? It was a book. It was called something. I forget. Regrowth. Regrowth. Yeah. The concept was really cool, though. So uh, in this game, as we talked about earlier, it's different from the first game. In the first game, let's say you walk up and you kill a goblin. Goblin just disappears, right? In this game, there's a corpse for everything. Anything that gets destroyed, there will be like remains, right? right? And let's say you go and you into a room and you kill a bunch of like, you know, slime monsters. There's all these slime corpses lying around. And we thought that was an opportunity to do something cool with them. And back when we had mana, we had a book you could use where it would turn all the corpses into green mana. And it felt amazing. It was so fun. You know, it's it's it feels clever doing something with corpses. It's good harmony, you know, because otherwise the corpses are just fluff. There's nothing there's no game design implications about them whatsoever. Right. And so I wanted to bubble that back up because uh, we cut it when we cut mana because we're like, this just doesn't make any sense anymore. But it could make sense again because we have um, the usable item again. Right. And uh, (laughs) that's all the ideas I have. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what exactly it would do. Like, okay, it could turn corpses into gold. I was just actually thinking about that because if you give, so, you know, let's say it's a wand and we give it a, uh, you know, with our new wand set up you know we can give each wand a very small amount of charges if it's really powerful right like we right. give you a wand that's like the midas touch or something what and, uh, wait what midas touch what is that king midas turns wait. things to gold turns it okay all right all right uh, I, i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm accessing my memory banks <laughs> it's there somewhere your your hard drive platters <laughs> are spinning wildly <laughs> yeah i really gotta get a solid state <laughs> Uh, no okay, humor. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, it, or, you know, it's like an alchemy one, like lead to gold or, or who knows, right? Gotcha. Whatever the thematics of it yeah, happen yeah. to be, the idea is that you can turn corpses into money. I was thinking something like, uh, something like Sharon, like, uh, you know, the, the ferryman where you no. have to pay him. No, nothing. You're just making this up now, aren't you? The Greek mythology, you know, River Sticks. Okay. River Sticks. Yeah. You give, I thought it was, it's He's, not the Grim Reaper. You give him a coin and he takes you across the river sticks well it's not the grim reaper because it's greek mythology and his name is sharon sharon wow i i didn't know that thing had a name (laughs) i mean he's very similar to like the grim reaper i guess he's like the gatekeeper of of hell he looks like him he's a skeleton wearing a robe yeah like a hooded robe makes me think of of death right gotcha okay uh so anyways yeah like something like that you know where you know gold for death and and that kind of thing I, i think is something that's interesting so we could have you know, a five charge wand basically that um, whenever you cast it, it turns all the corpses in the rooms to a piece of gold, um, which is interesting because then you kind of want to use it strategically, right? Like you want to yeah. save those charges for like maybe a big room where there's lots of gold, or at least after you've cleared out a room, you want to, you know, wait till you killed like three or four things in a row so you can actually use it and get three or four gold at a time at least instead of, you know, kill one thing, use a charge, get one gold, kill one thing, use yeah. a charge, get one gold. I could see a strategy where you find that wand, you don't get it until you've practically cleared the dungeon and you've got all these rooms full of corpses. So then you go back and you get the wand and then you go to the rooms that have the most corpses. Like I like, I I dig it when, when you can make the decision to spend some of your own precious time to do better in the game. You know, it's kind of like it can feel like grinding to some people, but others can be like, Oh sweet. You know, like, I, I think this is fun. I'm totally going to take five minutes and go through this dungeon and maximize the use of this wand, you know? Yeah, I think it depends how you play, right? Some right. people are, like, they get stimulated by the fact that, like, ooh, like, how can I maximize this effect? Exactly. You know, like, how can I, like, min-maxers, right? Like, yeah. what's how can I use this to the absolute best advantage? The people who use every little bit of toothpaste last left in the tube. <laughs> Right, you're sitting here, you're like shoving with your thumbs, like get out of there! I know you're in there, and you squeeze it out, and you're like, yes, just enough for one last, is, you know, teeth is, cleaning. Right? Is that how you do it? Uh, I do. Yeah. Uh, no, I just throw it away. <laughs> if it gets too difficult, I'm like, screw it, I'm done. I do throw ketchup out a little too early, 
probably like there's still a little bit left in there but like basically if i do the you know you usually just go you get some ketchup right but when you go and like it shoves ketchup everywhere and your plate is a mess and it gets on your shirt you know if it does that more than a couple times i'm done i don't care if there's ketchup left in there right we're done here (laughs) so there's like as a game for those people right but then likewise there's also a game for speedrunners who are like i have no interest in the corpse to coin wand because it's not fast Right. right like it's slow like the only scenario i might use it is if there's an item that i can't afford that i need more money for that would help me move faster like you know blink or dash or something like that you know? or you'll use it very opportunistically like you'll pick right. it up because it's there and then you know you'll kill a room full of things because you might have to because the doors are closed and then you'll immediately hit it grab as many coins as you can and then the first opportunity you're going to swap it out for something better exactly yeah which i think both of those ways sound great hopefully i just like that there's a decision there's a choice you can make you know uh, oh this just popped in my head i was picturing super mario world right so picture this there are these blocks in the game and when you hit certain triggers those blocks will turn into coins and if you collect the coin the block goes away and when the when the timer runs out the coins turn back into blocks except for the coins that are gone right so it could be picture uh, the freeze freeze wand i think we call it <laughs> free freeze so, so when that when you hit the freeze wand button every monster in the room gets frozen okay so picture that's what happens except they don't get frozen they turn into coins hmm. and if you go around and you collect them then you're basically killing them but when the timer runs out they turn back into monsters yeah that sounds fun i don't know this is a different idea i'll make another ticket and i'll hate myself you know what we need is we need a polymorph wand that turns things into chickens. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's good. Why don't we have that already? That's really good. And you can kill the chickens. Or possess the chickens. Or possess the chickens. And then I guess after, maybe, is that just permanent or is it after a timer that they revert? Uh, I can see it kind of going either way. Yeah, I could too. It sounds like it might be more fun if it were a limited time thing. So, that you know, you can't just be like chicken, 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 and then kill them all at your le- leisure. <laughs> yeah. It'd be more interesting if you're like, okay, I'm going to chicken this thing, and then I'm going to kill this other guy. I'm and then... chick- I like chicken as a verb. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, my wow time. The spell is called polymorph, right? There's a mage spell called polymorph where you turn something into a sheep. But no one calls it polymorph. They say, hey, sheep, sheep. that thing. Yeah, sheep. Or I got sheeped. Or I was shepped. There's <laughs> <laughs> something great about sheep. I always liked them in, uh, was it Worms. Maybe. I think it was, yeah, it, where it plays a lot like uh, Scorched Earth. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you throw the sheep. I don't know. It's the sheep and chicken, they just they make me happy. I, I like to see them in games for some reason. Maybe you should have been a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a terrible farmer. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> like, how can we design these sheep better? Like, just, what are you doing? Just shear it. Shear the sheep, milk the cow, shut up, wake up early. <laughs> Go to bed early. I do like breakfast, though, and farmers have fantastic breakfasts. That's true. So maybe that could have worked. (laughs) It's possible. Anywho, um, this will be the last one, and this one will be a little more code-centric because I'm going to ask you about... uh, You said you were working on this recently, and your brain was kind of fried. It was uh, talking about visualizing loot in stuff. Loot in stuff. So so this came from an idea for a trinket, um, which was basically like... I, I was looking at the pieces, or maybe it was you. I don't remember whatever we were looking at the pieces in the game right and we were like you know how can we add more harmony and maybe there's a trinket that lets you see inside of like because everything in the game uh, if it has loot like that's a property that just exists on us like let's say there is a um you know a goblin or whatever right it'll have like i know what my loot is my loot is a coin right and you see this chest maybe you can't even get to that chest right maybe it's across a pit and you're like ah is it worth it to go get a monster and fly over that pit and if you have this trinket you know something along the lines of glasses or a magnifying glass or a telescope or something something visual right the thing the loot inside of that entity would be visualized like above it or something like that right and you were working on this i i think that it's it's took me all about five minutes to actually like just get it wow functionally implemented man why can't you do everything that fast i because i'm terrible <laughs> <laughs> but really all i did was that we you know we have this uh this class called a pawn and the pawn is like kind of what controls every single entity yeah. in the world. And so I just put a little bit of code on the pawn that said like, Hey, look at your loot. And if your loot is anything, then instantiate an avatar of whatever that loot is and draw it above the actual avatar. Like done. It was that easy. Yeah. And we've got this really great thing called an avatar map. And you just include that in a file and you say avatar map dot create and you give it a key 
And it could be the key could be Raga, it could be oven turret, it could be chest, and whatever it is, it just boop, there it right. is. Like here's so the graphic it's like you want. Coin or, or whatever. And it worked just fantastically across the entire game, right? You could wow. see if a monster had a coin, you could see if a barrel had a coin. You could see that if a stack of books, if you destroy it and would turn into a bat book, you could see that. Um, wow. So it was really cool. Um, well, it is really cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> you you only, talk about it as if it failed miserably well, and, you, and you cut it. Did it look like the things that it was visualizing were actually in the world? Was that a problem? Well, I, so I was starting to play with it. Like, you know, I made them transparent and I did some composite operations. And I aligned them differently, but like... <sighs> Nothing really clicked. There was... Sometimes it's it's really difficult to see, like, and and the entities themselves are different, right? So on one entity it might look fine, but on a different yeah. entity it doesn't look like anything. It, it kind of just looks like maybe a glitch, or like you can't really tell. <laughs> That's you know? good. Ooh, it looks like a glitch. Yeah. Perfect. Ooh, yeah, it's exactly what we were going for. <laughs> uh, uh, with specifically with the books, actually, it was really hard to tell because the books themselves are, it's like a pile of books. And then you have this other book transparently overlaid over this stack of books, yeah. and it just kind of looks messy. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of it doesn't really look like what you think it would look like. What if it was like a proximity thing? Because right now we have these uh, the tooltip component. If you get near, say, a uh, an item you want to pick up or an item you want to buy, if you get within a certain proximity of it, this like little modal window thingy will appear above it, and it'll have you know like oh I cost three gold and here's some text. Or right. whatever, and we could have something like that where you know, if you have the glasses or whatever it is, and you get near an item and it has loot, then a little window will appear above it that shows what it is. Uh, I think that's that's probably the best way to handle that because trying to overlay it over the actual entity is just not. I don't think it's going to happen. Not going to work. Yeah, but I do like the the proximity tooltip thing. I think the only time that that would be a problem is if it conflicted with another tooltip. But yeah, I don't necessarily think that that will be an issue part of me i mean you're the one who's worked on it but part of me thinks that like since it is kind of a hairy problem that it might be best just to dodge it because it is such a super edge case right like a lot of players will never even get this trinket a lot of players will not care about it you know a completionist especially they might be like you know i don't care what's in the chests i just i I want to get it yes i will get everything might love it you know Mm. You know, it's like, That's uh, true. I love this trinket because then I can maximize my time and also maximize the amount of resources I'm getting. You know, it's like, I only have to kill the barrels I need to get the gold right? that I need to, to get this one wand, you know, and I, I can even skip many barrels that have gold or whatever, um, you know, just getting the exact amount that I need. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's tricky. I think the tooltip thing might be an easy solution though, because it's functionality that we basically already have. Yeah. So we just have to kind of retrofit it to show avatars instead of text. Right. Which, you know, that shouldn't be too difficult. Nice. Anyways, um, I think it works really well because, you know, trinkets are, are one of the hardest things to design in the game just because they're sort of passive and they can't be too powerful necessarily. Yeah. Because they're like kind of these infinitely always on passive kind of things. Um. But something like that kind of harmonizes so well because most of our best trinkets are like informational stuff, right? Like the compass, compass the yeah. map, um, the... Just those two. Glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, we used to have like the abacus, which would show you damage numbers, but we Oh, and the, and the monster manual. Yeah, the first game had a lot more informational trinkets. Yeah. And in this game, we chose to just turn that stuff on by default all the time because uh, we just think the game kind of plays better the more information you have, you know? Because that some way... Stuff, yeah. Yeah, like the abacus, um, you know, whenever you deal damage to something or you get damaged yourself, it's nice to see what just happened. Like, here's a number that confirms your suspicions or explains what you didn't understand, you know. Right. And with the monster manual, you know, here's a here's a hit point bar on something that you might have otherwise thought was just never going to die. You know, you can see the hit point bar decreasing or like it'll also let you know like, oh, you can't hurt this thing because it doesn't have a health bar, that kind of stuff. Right. More information for the player, basically, was our kind of our mantra. To an extent, right? Because it's not like we want to give them the map and the compass by default. Because true, some stuff needs to be hidden. Yeah, exactly. Anywho, uh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like these because hopefully it's cool to listen to, and you can kind of get a peek behind uh, the you know the creative process and how we 
uh, finish this game, but also it helps us because we had to do this anyway. You know, it wasn't like, you know, some podcasts, it really just does take like an hour to three hour block out of our day and it has nothing to do with shipping the game. You know, and those are cool too. Those are fun. Yeah. We like doing those episodes occasionally, but these are great for us because it allows us to kind of kill two birds with one stone. And, uh, you know, we tend to multitask too much and put too much work on our plates. So any, anything we can do like this uh, really helps a great deal. It gives you insight behind the scenes as we flail around wildly <laughs> trying to design games. You can see how the sausage is made and you can be disgusted by it. <laughs> I think that's all we've got for this week. So uh, thanks for listening. Join us on the forum at forum.losttickedgames.com. Also, check out our Patreon. Ship it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a horrible salesperson.
filthy. It's not surprising. I don't know how it accumulates so much dirt. Because your fingers are gross. Yeah, my hands must be made out of mud. Pretty much. Human hands are disgusting. <laughs> Human everything is disgusting. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We're all oily and greasy and Ugh. dirty. Not like games. Games are squeaky clean. Not our games. <laughs> our games are dirty, <clears throat> gritty. Disgusting. <laughs>